Hello, this is James, and welcome back to The Word is Very Near You, my podcast about God's nearness in our everyday lives. Thanks so much for being with me today. I am working through a series called Think and Do, based on Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And up until now, all of my episodes have been focused on the think part of Ephesians. The first three chapters of the letter are really all about our position in Christ and what God has done for us in Christ. And it's an amazing summary of Christian theology and all the wonderful things God has done for us in Christ. Today, I'm starting in chapter 4, which is really the pivot of Ephesians, where Paul begins to exhort his readers in very practical terms about how they are to live the life of faith in Christ. In other words, this is the doing part of Ephesians. And again, the layout of Ephesians is so critical because so much of the Christian church focuses just on the second half of Ephesians, the doing. So many sermons and instructions are all about do this and don't do that, and you should avoid this and you should do that and make sure you, etc. And, and don't get me wrong, the Christian life certainly involves a lot of doing. There are commands that Jesus and Paul and others give us to obey. There are practical instructions for how to live the Christian life, but we need to start from a place of identity. Behavior flows from identity. If we know who we are in Christ and the wonderful things God has done for us in Christ, then behavior is just a response to that. And so a lot of my lover's quarrel with the church is we spend way too much time talking about doing, 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 and not enough time of being reminded and being taught about all the incredible, marvelous things Christ has done for us and how what we do is simply just a response, an overflow of what Christ has done for us. Well, one thing about me is I am the father of four children. And at the time of this recording, I've got one child in college, one in high school, one in middle school, and one in elementary school. Just the way we planned it, right? One of my greatest joys as a father is watching my children grow up. I mean, it's just so cool to see them learn how to think and process and start to enter into the world and figure out who they are and start to use their God-given gifts in the world. It's an incredible process as a parent to see that happening. But could you imagine with me for a moment if once my kids got to, say, maybe age six or seven, you know, they're out of diapers, they're at that really kind of fun stage where they're curious and asking lots of questions and they're not quite so needy as they were when they were toddlers— could you imagine me just saying, if I had the power, okay, that's good. No more growth. This is a really cool stage. I just want you to stay age six forever because I just love you at this age and it's just great. I don't want you to grow anymore from here. Just stay a six-year-old the rest of your life. And though all of us parents at one time or another lament how quickly time flies, that whole idea is preposterous, right? I mean, first of all, it's impossible. That could never happen. But secondly, even if we had that power, would we really want that for our kids? That would be maybe convenient for us to be able to enjoy our children at that age forever, but it wouldn't be good for them. They were meant to grow up, to mature, to develop into full-fledged adults. And the same is true in the spiritual realm. God, our heavenly parent, wants us the body of Christ, his children, to grow up, to mature, to become complete and whole 
in a way that he is complete and whole. He wants us to become spiritual adults, to take responsibility for our lives, not just individually, but corporately, because we collectively are the body of Christ. And this is the theme that Paul picks up in Ephesians chapter 4. I'm looking at the first half of the chapter today, going down through about verse 16, and I'm going to read portions of this to you, not the entire section, but this section is all about our unity and maturity in the body of Christ. So I'm starting in Ephesians 4 verse 1. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all in all. Then skipping down to verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What a beautiful picture of the body of Christ. This section starts with a verse that reads, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. That verse is really the capstone, the summary of these final three chapters of Ephesians. Because in these last three chapters, Paul is describing for them how to do just that, how to live a life worthy of the calling they have received. He's painting a picture for them of what the life of faith in Christ, what that looks like when it's lived out the way he wants us to live. And then he moves right into some instructions. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with one another in love. And those are very easy words to understand. Uh, They are much harder words to do, right? Easier said than done about being humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another. I think we all know what those words mean. Uh, Not always easy to carry those out. Next, Paul returns to a theme that he's already addressed several times so far in the letter, the theme of unity. And he rattles off this pithy cadence of what unity looks like, one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. It may have been part of an early creedal statement in the church, a summary of Christian belief, but it's a a call to unity. And as we see from the previous chapter as well, unity is not something that we achieve by our human striving. It's not a human accomplishment. It's something that already exists 
and that we are called to receive and enter into as the body of Christ. Unity is not achieved, it's received. And Paul exhorts the Ephesians here to maintain that unity, to keep the unity of the Spirit. And could there be a more fitting word for the church today, the word of unity, in a time when many in our nation seem so divided and when many even in the church seem so divided from one another? The call is always to unity, to oneness. But one thing Paul is also clear on in this passage is that unity is not conformity. That in the body of Christ, though there is unity, there is diversity. There is diversity in unity. Starting in verse 11, when he lists out the different gifts, the different kinds of people in the body of Christ, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. And this is the idea of spiritual gifts, right? We're used to hearing Paul talk about the different kinds of gifts God has given his people. But here his emphasis is a bit different. Here the gift is the person. I don't know if you've ever thought of yourself that way, but you yourself, if you're a part of the body of Christ, you are, in a sense, one of God's gifts to God's people, and that he has equipped you and given you certain abilities to serve the body of Christ. You yourself are a gift, not just your particular talent. You yourself are the gift. It's pretty cool to think about it that way, because that means that each of us has a part to play in the body of Christ that community in Christ is not a spectator sport. We are all called to participate in some way. We're called to contribute, to put something in. And the purpose of this, Paul is very clear in verses 12 and 13, is that it's to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so that means the unique gifts and abilities that God has given you are not for your own glory or fame, but for the benefit of others, that God equips us and gives us certain abilities and gifts that we might benefit and build up the body of Christ. They're to be used in the service of others. So I work in the corporate world, and it's amazing to me to see how much of business leadership theory has caught up to this idea. There's a lot of talk about servant leadership in the corporate world, how the leaders of the organization are to use their gifts and their education and their training to build up the organization, not just for their own compensation and benefit, though of course there's plenty of that going on too. But the the idea behind a lot of contemporary leadership theory is servant leadership. It's what we see in this passage that we're to use our gifts and strengths and abilities to help build up the entire organization to serve others with our gifts. And so Paul concludes this section with a hopeful vision of what the church can and could be, that we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, but that in all things we will grow and build ourselves up in love more and more into the image of Christ. Again, not so much individually, but the focus here is completely collective. It's communal, that we corporately, as the body of Christ, will mature and become whole and complete. And so I can't say enough about how appropriate and fitting I think this passage is for us today, that we need to grow up and become 
more whole and complete and unified as the body of Christ. Someone has once described the American church as being 3,000 miles wide and an inch deep. And that's a very cynical view of our church today in America, but I think it's sadly also pretty accurate a lot of the time. I mean, think about how frequently you hear of the church today following the latest political trend or being carried away by celebrity culture or sadly how many times have you heard recently of christian leaders or churches or entire organizations falling into sin falling into horrible things like sexual abuse and manipulation and violence even it's awful now more than ever we need the body of Christ to be the body of Christ. We need to grow up, to become mature and whole. And that only happens, according to Paul, when each of us is doing his or her part, when we're using the God-given gifts and being the God-given gifts that we have and are in the body of Christ. I don't know about you, but I've been struggling a lot over the last year of the pandemic and not really being able to meet in person very often with my church family. It's been a struggle, and I sure hope that very soon we're able to resume gathering together again and meeting, because I really miss it. And one of the reasons I felt compelled to start this podcast was to use the gifts that I feel like God has given me of, of teaching and understanding. I certainly don't have all the answers, but I really felt compelled to begin sharing some of my um, training and background and insight with you guys through this podcast. So I hope it's been helpful. I hope it's been a blessing. I hope it's been a way of using my gifts to build up the body of Christ. That's my intention, after all. I'd like to conclude with a final observation about one of the reasons that I think we Americans struggle so much with this idea of community is we have been trained from the get-go to be so ruggedly individualistic. We have such a wealthy society where we have so much and it is just so easy for people like me and you to retreat into our private castles each day at the end of work or whatever you're doing and really not have to rely or depend upon other people for much of anything. And it just wasn't that way in the ancient world. The people that Paul wrote to, they were in a very struggle for survival. The climate there is much harsher. Certainly the political situation there was a lot harsher under the Roman Empire. It was a very dicey time to be alive, and there was a real sense of shared community that we're in this thing together, and especially to be a Christian, to be a distinct minority in a sea of non-Christians, uh, it was a real struggle for survival. So that's why you see all these one another commands in the New Testament, love one another, forgive one another, accept one another, serve one another over and over and over again. That's a great study sometime to do, is just look up all these one another commands in the New Testament. So let me challenge you this week to find one way to put your gifts to work. Find one person you can serve or help or do something for. Because remember, community is not a spectator sport. It requires our active participation so that we may grow and become all that Christ wants us to be. This has been The Word is Very Near You. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back soon with another devotion.